this is Canada Reads American Style, featuring two friends who love Canada Reads and Canadian literature. Welcome our host Rebecca from Michigan and Tara from Ontario. Hi everyone, it is Rebecca and today I am chatting with award-winning author Garnet Kilberg-Cohen. Garnet is the author of four short story collections, Cravings, which was published in October of 23, Lost Women, Banished Souls, How We Move the Air, and Swarm to Glory. Her chapbook, Passion Tour, was published by Finishing Line Press. Her writing has appeared in The New Yorker Online, Rumpus, The Gettysburg Review, Witness, The Literary Review, Story Quarterly, The Antioch Review, and elsewhere. She taught writing at Columbia College Chicago for more than 30 years. She just recently retired. Yay, she's joined uh, an elite group of people like myself. (laughs) She also teaches creative writing workshops at various conferences and organizations and works as a consultant with individual writers of fiction and nonfiction. Welcome to the podcast, Garnet. I'm delighted to be here. Well, thank you. And as everybody knows... I got to see you live in person at Literary Literati Bookstore in Ann Arbor uh, last fall, and I was so excited because I had gotten a copy of your book through a publicist. I loved it so much. I wanted to see you in person, and I bought a copy for myself as well. And I have to say this too: that when I, when Tara, my partner, and I did our final podcast, our wrap up for 2023. I did a top five books I read in 23, and Cravings made my top five list. I am just delighted to hear that. I I was thrilled to meet you, and I was flattered that you drove drove to Ann Arbor to hear the to hear the reading, but I'm not sure I knew until right now that I'd made your top five list for 2020. <laughs> that I'm very, very happy about because, you know, you probably know short stories always have a hard time getting read. It's one of my favorite forms, but they sometimes get, have a hard time. Yeah. And I love short stories. And I said, and I've said this so many times on our pod, various podcasts and everybody you know, is going to hear it again from me. But what I loved about Cravings is that every story, I mean, I loved every story. There wasn't, you know, a lot of times you read a collection, you might have like one that you kind of say like, hmm, didn't really grab me. But every one of these stories I loved and I've reread it and it holds up. I, and I just want to encourage all of our listeners to pick up a copy, whether from your public library or purchase a copy. It's a nice a compact book, and the cover is stunning. I absolutely love love the cover art as well. Yes, the cover is wonderful. Okay, so Garnet, we're going to start by just asking you to tell us how Cravings came to be the title and the theme of the book. Well, the theme sort of emerged organically. It was stories I was writing over a certain amount of time, a long period of time, actually, 10 years. And I didn't, I wasn't aiming for a theme, but it just more or less emerged. And I had it under a different title when I submitted it to University of Wisconsin Press to be considered. 
And the edit, I had it under the name of this book, story in the book, Slow Dance. And for a while, I had it under the name of the last story in the book, Feast, which is my favorite story. But the publisher wasn't happy with those titles. He thought they were fine for stories, but not for the entire book. So he and I batted back and forth ideas for... Um, for several weeks. And he came up with the idea of unquenchable, the word unquenchable, because so many of the uh, uh, things in the stories, it's, people weren't satisfied. They couldn't get all they wanted. and But he agreed that that wasn't the best name for a book. And I started thinking of other words that mean unqu unquenchable. And cravings seemed to fit a lot of the stories. So I didn't have the theme or the title first. That came later. And so I'd love to have you, if you would, read an excerpt from one of the stories because I really want our readers to get, our, our listeners to get an, a sense of the book so that, again, they will pick up a copy. <laughs> I hope so. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to read from a short story in here called Maternal Instinct. And I got this idea, I get my ideas in all kinds of different ways, but I got this idea from a news story. Some of your listeners may have heard this news story. It was about a little boy who fell in a gorilla pit in a zoo. That's all I knew about the little boy. And I didn't know anything except that he lived. So, but I kept wondering, what would it be like to have that happen to you? How would it impact your life? So I wrote a story where a little boy fell in a, a gorilla pit in a zoo, but it follows the little boy for his whole, until he's in his thirties. So we see how it impacts him. But the story starts out with him falling in the pit and I'm going to read that section, and you're just going to have to buy it to see what ha what <laughs> grows up and what he learns about the whole incident. Yes, I love this story. It's one of my favorites. Oh, thank you. All right, maternal instinct. Mostly I remember fragments, flashes, the feel of my right shoe slipping, losing my foothold, my spine arcing, then a rush of concrete and green, my elbow scraping a wall, leaves and twigs scratching my cheek. Though I must have fallen 12 feet, I don't remember landing, making contact with the hard concrete bed beneath the artificial stream. I don't remember making a splash. My wrist stung above my left hand where I automatically tried to break the fall but I didn't cry. I told myself, boys don't cry. I do remember squatting in the middle of the shallow stream, the dank feel of the water, slimy water, not like the bath or the beach, a rustling sound. I remember looking around and knowing that I'd landed in a different world. One second I had been with my family among crowds of pressing, sweating people, and the next second I was squatting in the stream, my shoes and socks saturated, my bottom wet, people shouting. I looked up and saw the mother gorilla slumping toward me, her long arms swinging, her curled knuckles sweeping the ground. I was not scared. I did not sense danger. 
I had seen gorillas in movies, cartoons, and books. I loved Curious George and Goodnight Gorilla. I remember she moved toward me like a large stuffed animal. A baby gorilla was riding her back, its head looking over the mother's shoulder. I was happy. I'd fallen into a magical world away from the oppressive heat and the crowds. I later learned that the mother's gorilla's name was Pebbles. The baby's name was Bam Bam. They were one of the main zoo attractions because Bam Bam had been born in captivity six months earlier. Pebbles arrived beside me quickly. Bang Bam climbed down from her back and stood beside the mother. I know the crowd above the pit roared and screamed. I have seen video footage. But at that moment, the noise of the crowd was a distant din. What I heard more clearly was a hoo, 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 hoo sound from Bam Bam and a cross between a growl and a meow from Pebbles. Neither sounded unfriendly. Pebbles took another step toward me. The three of us formed a tight circle. I looked up into Pebbles' golden eyes, and she looked down into mine. We connected. Staring out from under her deep brows, her glare was intense, yet kind and concerned. In a flash, I was in her head, and she was in mine. At, at the time, I could feel only feel her thoughts, but now I can piece them together, put them into words. Another baby, another one to care for, to cuddle, another one to protect. But where's its fur? Where did it come from? Not from inside of me. No pain. No breaking apart down there like last time. But it is mine. Two babies to ride my back, to nurse, two babies to love, two babies to wrestle with each other. Warm, sweet, soft. This feels so familiar. Long ago, another place, another time, a deeper stream. I have seen this before. Where? Another baby, my sister, my brother, a family again, another baby, only hairy like us, running in tall savanna grasses, birds calling. I shivered and tried to stand. The slimy water coated my hands in shorts. I wore my favorite Star Wars t-shirt a hand-me-down from Will. The faces above, does, of, above us roared. The gorilla lifted her massive arm as if to pet me, and I heard a loud explosion. In a flash, pebbles became a mound of fur, her eyes no longer visible. I've had counselors over the years. Some said the trauma affected my memory. Others said a few people remember whole scenarios from when they were five, yet even as they dismissed my partial amnesia as natural, they all, at some point, pressed me to remember. I didn't like the way they asked, as if they were curious in a salacious way. They didn't want to help me. They wanted the story, a linear narrative. I refused to see any more therapists after my last counselor, the one I had when I was 15, the one who wanted to try hypnosis. My parents argued about it. My father wanted me to continue. My mother felt it was up to me. If he doesn't want to go, it won't do any good. Besides, hypnosis is just hocus pocus. 
she had been opposed to therapy from the start. In fact, she had, she had argued vehemently against it, saying the fall was just an accident. There was nothing to glean from therapy. Besides, she said, I was there. I can tell you what happened. Is that enough? <laughs> yeah, that it is an it is enough, but I hopefully this I mean this story how it ends, it's just so it it's it, it brings up so many different emotions and I think that's what I really loved about this story is that you think it's going in one direction and then you're like, "Oh, this is this is where it's headed, and this is where it, how it ends. I, I loved it. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Now, I do have a question. Of all of the stories, I think there are 12, uh, do you have a favorite among the collection? Yes. Uh, the final story in the book, Feast, is my favorite story. And I can't, you know, it's it's a little like your children, you know, you, you love them all. Yeah. Um, but I think the woman in that story was the most fictionalized, the least drawn from anything autobiographical. But when I wrote it, and I think it took me about a week and a half to do the first draft, every morning I just woke up and it was as if the story was in the computer. And I could just go to the computer and draw the story from it. I mean, of course, later I had to revise it and do all of those things. But I loved how naturally it came to me. And I loved how unfamiliar the woman in the story was to me and 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 how I got to know her. Okay, with that character, did she... Was she drawn from anyone you knew, or was this just completely like you crafted her from from scratch? I have to say she was crafted from scratch. There were some things occasionally she said that came from something I'd heard, but she was really pretty much from scratch. And And when it came from something I'd heard someone say, it was never the same person. So it wasn't like I even drew from one person, but that was, it was still pretty rare for her uh, to say something I'd heard before. It was mostly her just coming to life. Wow. I love that. Now, uh, when you write a story, a short story, do you have a plan in mind that it will be become part of a collection since you said the other this cravings took 10 years um, I'm going to assume that's maybe not the case or is it later down the line where you see how the stories fit together into a collection it's later down the line when I see how they fit into a collection when working on a short story I'm always hoping that in the future as as you mentioned this is my fourth collection I'm always hoping that in the future there will be, this will fit into a collection, a book somehow. And I do have one collection that I wrote that I knew all the stories were going to fit together mm. at the end. And, uh, but most of the time I'm just working on the story and enjoying, enjoying the story uh, or suffering from the story, one <laughs> or the two, and uh, seeing where it's going to take me. I usually don't have a plan for the story. Um, I usually start with an image or an idea or a little bit of dialogue, maybe a scene, 
and see where that goes. So creatively, you could literally just be sitting, like looking at the morning newspaper or if that, if newspapers actually physically even exist or, or whatever, <laughs> but um, you, it, like ideas can just come to you that can then morph into a story later on, right? I mean, yes, just... that can happen. I mean, I wish it happened more often than it does, but, <laughs> um, but no, it can't, it can happen. I, I also, I draw stories from memories, but the memories always morph and change into something else. They never stay mm -hmm. with my life. For instance, the very first story in the book is about a girl raiding her parents' pantry for salty snacks. And I used to do that quite a bit when I was little. But the rest of the story, her, her, the car crash that comes, the fact that she grows up to be an archaeologist, all of that stuff is pure fiction. Yeah. Now, I... I, and I will say this, preface this by saying that I think sometimes there may be this thing where somehow a novel is greater than a short story, which I don't believe, of course. So, but I'm wondering, though, have you ever considered writing a novel about one of your sto short story characters? I wondered if a character has ever spoken to you, maybe more so that you wanted to flesh that character out in a in a longer format I guess there have been a couple times in some ways the last story in cravings the one called feast I wish I kept going with that and made it into something longer mm -hmm. and there's another character who I wrote several stories about and in, in another book not in this book and so I stayed with that character for quite a while. And I think there's, in some ways, I'm just more, I like the compression of short stories and I like the arc. And I like that you can, even if they're long short stories, you can read them in one sitting and come away satisfied. I read a lot of novels. I love novels, but you know, if I read a novel and I like it for two thirds of the way, and then I don't like the ending, well, that's okay. You know, I got a three days to a week worth of reading out of it. But with a short story, I think almost everything has to work. So I like that, the challenge of that or the artistry of that. Yeah. It's funny because in the, the character in The Feast, the, the woman, I wanted so much more about her because that story that is like I said one of my top of three favorites and I I loved that story so much and I wanted just to know more about her but the other thing I love about a short story is it's exactly what you said sometimes I can love a book for two-thirds and then I get to the end and I kind of go eh, okay it ended I'm not that crazy about it whereas in a short story because of its compression I feel like I, and because it's a, a slice of time that you're telling their story, I can then create kind of what I believe might have happened ultimately for that character, like how they might have gone on. And it kind of gives me a chance to be a little creative in what I think, because it's not fully defined 
as a novel would be. Does that make sense? It, it completely makes sense. And I have had people say to me in reading sometimes, not a lot, but a few times, say, well, but what happens? Um, and, uh, and I'm like, well, you know, there's an ending here, but it's not the end of the character's life or yeah. um, the, this person's going to keep going and you can. And when I teach short stories, sometimes I ask people, well, what, based on what you read here, what do you think the prognosis for this character is? What do you think's going to happen to him or to her? And that's always a fun discussion. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, oh, I'd like, I'd love to be in on one of those discussions. That would be a lot of fun. Now, have you, or, or I should say, are any of your past collections linked stories? And how do you feel about linked stories? I love linked stories. How we move the air which is, I think my second collection is a link collection. And it's probably also my shortest book. It's probably a little shorter than this book. I don't have it in front of me, so I can't say for sure. But it is, um, it's, it revolves around, there's a man who commits suicide in the book, and he's not really in the book. But his former wife is, his daughter, other people who knew him. So we see stories about their lives. And I think it's just really interesting to see different people's perspectives on the same subject. And so that's basically what I, I did in that link collection. I probably my favorite link collection of all time is Alice Monroe's Beggar Maid, and which is just, it takes us through a character's entire life. But you could just read one story in that book if you wanted, and it would stand alone and you'd feel satisfied. But it's, it's sort of like, in that book, it's sort of like, oh, I wonder whatever happened to that person. But you get to find out what happened to that person through all yeah. the different stories. I'm assuming if you were to then write linked stories, there's a, a deeper challenge to try to pull them all together or to write from different perspectives, I assume? Yes, there it there is a different ch challenge. But in another way, I think, and I don't know because I haven't written a novel, that it's a little like a novel because you do have a core or a plot or something there to work from. So you're not com starting completely fresh each time. You're starting with, you know, a backstory. And your readers, if they read it as a link collection and not as a separate story, they come into the story knowing more about the person. In the link collection, I don't know how many of them were previously published in my link collection, previously published in magazines, but several of them were, and they stood alone and people didn't need to know what happened after or beforehand. The people who published them, the other editors didn't need to know. But in some ways, I think there was more of a spine. Now you're making me, by asking this question, you're making me think, oh, I'd really like to write another link collection. That, <laughs> um, because it, there is that spine there that you can build on without having to come up with a whole new 
situation and character and background and all of that. I do want to ask a couple of questions about now, since you just recently retired, I did want to kind of talk to you a little bit about your career as a, as a uh, professor, but how in the world did you find time with all of your responsibility teaching to be able to then carve out that time for your own work? Was that a challenge? Was it, did you have a good process to make that happen? Because I'm assuming your whole creativity, you know, it can't just be held off for the months that you're teaching, right? No, it it is. I, and that's another thing that's good about short stories, because if you're working on something longer and you're working on it all summer, say, and then fall classes start, it could be weeks and weeks before you get to go back to it and you've lost uh, the emotional impetus that pushed, or in my case, that pushed you into writing it in the first place. Or you have to read your 150 pages all over again and be reminded what happened before you can even start writing. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, short stories fit well into the schedule of writing in the summer and writing during the course of the year. But I did feel I had to write all the time, not every day, but all the time, because it's a, I just go kind of crazy if I'm not, if I'm not writing, if I'm not creating something. So I had to do it all year long. And there was something also about knowing you have a limited amount of time that makes you use that time well. Uh, So that was helpful. But it's, you know, it's harder if you have a full-time job. And I think it helped that I was a professor because I was talking about writing and short stories mm-hmm. during the day, whether it be in a literature class or a creative writing class. So when you're writing, do you like do you have an idea when you start like this is how it starts and this is how it ends or or does it just flow and are you sometimes surprised at how it might end? The best, the absolute best short stories to me are when it's a surprise how it oh, ends. Excellent. And I I mean, I didn't know what we were going to find out about that boy who fell in the gorilla pit until I got pretty close to the end. And I thought, wow, you know, I can't believe this is what happened. But it, yeah. Uh, and so that is... Uh, that's the that's the most fun and that feels the most creative to me. But sometimes I can have a, a general idea or an image of how it's going to end. I think it's just important to uh, know that if something better comes up, you can drop the original plan and go with something better. Uh, I'm thinking through the, the stories. The one that you, one of the ones you said, you liked best breaking news breaking news yeah i think i had that image of the ending very early on in mm-hmm. that story and i and nothing came to me that i liked more than that image so that was very early in the story yeah oh i love that oh my that, that gives me chills i love that story so much oh my gosh now as a professor of creative writing 
what do you think makes a great short story? I know that's a big, broad, no, hard it question. No, it is, because <laughs> it's different things for different short stories. What might make one story the best might not make another story the best. I mean, sometimes it's the language. Almost always it's the character. Um, is plays a big role. Whether you feel connected to the character and so the reader feels connected to the character in some way. Uh, whether the language moves you. But I, I also think what stays with me in a short story that I, when I read someone else's or when I read my own, is that somehow there's some element of surprise. Uh, and that even, uh, something unexpected happens, but when that happens, it makes total sense. Mm-hmm. That's how this turned out. Uh, but it's not what you're expecting necessarily until it does happen. Yeah, and and in your in this collection, cravings that does happen in in a number of stories, obviously, and it's very organic. Like nothing is out of left field. It's all. But when you get there, you just go, "Oh my gosh!" Like it really kind of gives you pause. And yeah, I, I yeah, love that. which that's exactly right. What you said, it, it being organic. And that it came out of it, I wasn't totally... And it's a surprise, but it's not an absurd surprise. It's not, you know, like a big hero rescue or anything like that. It's it's something that you could see how it happens now that you know that that is what happened. Yeah. You taught for 30 years. You've seen the, the full spectrum of like probably great short stories and maybe not so great. So... What was that teaching students in that creative writing space? How did that feel? I have had some students who are very successful and uh, students who have published books that are successful books and students who have published short stories, but not, I can't think of too many collections of short stories that my students have published, but Mm -hmm. individual. I think the most important thing in teaching someone to write is to being to be encouraging and about what they're doing best what you like where they can take their imagination i mean it's it's about being encouraging now it's more of a problem if there's nothing to encourage and that doesn't happen very often okay okay (laughs) most people can get better um not everyone's going to be a published writer but most but it's it's hard because that's a balance you don't want to encourage someone too much to stick with something that you're pretty sure yeah is not going to turn ever they're never going to really grasp it but i've had students who or people I've encouraged, who I'm not totally sure of, but there were things to encourage. And they went ahead and surprised me and did really well. Yeah. Wow. That's that's really fascinating. Uh, now, I was wondering if you could share, are there any short story collections or authors you would recommend to us? Because I do think that short stories kind of get, you know, the short end of the stick, really, and that we often focus on the novel, and especially even novel over nonfiction. And I love nonfiction as well. So are there any short story collections or authors you'd like to recommend to us? Well, the, the one I just mentioned, or mentioned a little earlier, Alice Monroe, I think she's 
amazing. Um, and she does things with time and character that just blow me away. I, I also like Laura Groff, Edna O'Brien, Edwidge Danticott. I know that there's all kinds of people who um, are escaping me. I, I loved Alage, Olive Kitteridge, which a lot of people, and that's a link collection too. And a lot of people have said, oh, she was so horrible, the woman. And she she was. Did you read it? No, uh, no. <laughs> she is kind of an icky person. But, but, you know, there was still, it held a fascination for me and the writing was uh, so good. And that is a link collection. And so uh, those are the ones who are kind of, I loved as a link collection as well. Visit, um, visit from the goon squad. That was a good link collection. I'm just, I'm just jotting these down. So, yeah. And then I, I will put these in the show notes for everybody. So. Oh, terrific. Yeah. That way people can kind of look into them as well. So now I, I know that this is something I always, almost always ask authors, and sometimes I feel bad asking it, but I'm going to ask it anyway, which is, is because you just published Cravings in October of last year, but is there another collection or a publication on the horizon? I have a short story coming out in a magazine called Sequestrum. So I have a short story coming out, and I have a short story I recently finished and I have a couple, cause I write nonfiction too, a couple essays, but nothing that has coalesced in my mind into what's going to be a book yet. Mm-hmm. I did, I did start a novel a couple years ago and I'm also thinking since I'm retired, I'm going to go back to that maybe this summer and see what mm. happens with that. And when I don't have to then at the end of the summer say, oh, no, I've got to put this aside (laughs) and and plan all my classes and everything. And the novel's not linked stories, but it's episodic. So it feels a little like stories, but but it's not. No, there's nothing that's right on the horizon. And I will say when you get a book accepted, There's so much involved with promoting that book, Mm -hmm. doing readings, doing book signings, and all of which is enjoyable, but doesn't, but takes up a lot of time. Yeah. I've heard other authors say that as well. In fact, somebody said the hardest part about getting a book published is the after the, after it's been published and all that work you have to do to promote it and everything. So that's why we love our little podcast that we get to talk to authors and help kind of promote books that we've really loved. And I really, again, everybody is probably so tired of me saying this, but I love this book so much. And I really encourage everyone to take a look at it and get a copy. And I will say, Garnet, I also want to go back and pick up your other books. Are they available? I think that they're all available through Amazon. Um, I'm pretty sure that they are. And the link collection is called How We Move the Air. And so that, and it's very short, but, but I really appreciate it. And I'd like to say I'm not getting at all tired of you saying <laughs> how much you can just keep saying it 
and keep saying it. So, but no, I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate someone who loves so books so much and reads them so carefully doing a podcast. I mean, I have been in interviews where it's clear to me, the person, and that's okay. I know people are busy, hasn't read the book and that's okay, but it's not enjoyable the way it is with someone like you who loves literature and is carefully, not just read it, but carefully read it. I have to agree. I heard this years later after he passed away. Larry King, they said, never read the books of the authors that he interviewed. If you go back and actually watch his interviews, you're like, yeah, he clearly never read the book. And I think (laughs) what an opportunity he missed because there's nothing I love more than to talk to authors because I don't have that kind of talent. And I just am, you all feed us so much, us as readers and those of us who collect books and read them and talk about them and podcast about them. So I just want to say, Garnet, I am a huge fan. I will be a forever fan. Um, I'm, like I said, I'm going to get your other books. I also want to kind of start to see if I can find all of your other publications and, and uh, read your essays and your other short stories. That is so nice. Well, this was pure pleasure. Thank you so much for being with me. And I look forward to whatever you write next. And I'd love to have you come back in the future. Oh, I would definitely love to come back. I look forward to listening to this and I look forward to uh, hearing about what other books you read. Great. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on our bookish journey. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing Canada Reads American Style wherever you listen. You can connect with the podcast and Rebecca on Instagram at Canada Reads American Style and with Tara at On a Branch Reads. Until next time, keep reading. <laughs>